What's going on? Welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson here at the Auctioner Sports Performance Center inside Studio B, where unfortunately we'll be talking about a Saints loss today, not what we all expected on opening day for the New Orleans Saints as they fall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 48-40 in a high-scoring affair that saw Ryan Fitzpatrick excuse me, score four touchdowns in the air and did one with his legs as well, five total touchdowns on the day the Saints defense struggled uh, immensely yesterday whether it was the secondary or the defensive line um, but the offense certainly looked promising with Drew Brees throwing for over 400 yards three touchdowns Michael Thomas setting a Saints franchise record with 16 receptions for 180 yards and of course Alvin Kamara doing his thing and as JD will mention here in a little bit looking like the number two receiver for New Orleans right now so good thing is it's only one week and uh, the Saints will have a chance to bounce back um, against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. And, of course, Cleveland tying in their mat game excuse me, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, 21-21. Plenty of opportunities for both sides to steal a win in overtime, including the Browns with that interception late in the game. But, unfortunately, a block on the back prevented them from having a shorter field goal attempt, which meant a blocked field goal and ended up being a tie. So the Browns come into Sunday's game with a record of 0-0-1. But ironically, it is their best start to a season since 2004. So not a lot of success on opening day for the Cleveland Browns, but still a challenge for the Saints as both teams looked again to the win column for the first time. We'll sit down with John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com, Mike Triplett from ESPN.com. We'll discuss yesterday's game, what went wrong, which I think we all kind of know the answer of the struggles that the defense had, what went right, and what to look forward to to the rest of the year, including the matchup against the Browns so I know Mondays usually depend on how the Saints do on Sunday so of course this might be a little doom and gloom on this Monday but again only week one still plenty of time to get back on track if you remember last season 0-2 start for the Saints losses against the Vikings and the Patriots but go on to go 11-5 and make it to the playoffs so sit back and relax we'll have a conversation about the Saints and the Browns and also the Saints and Buccaneers from yesterday Mike Triplett and John the Shazer and it's yours right now this is the black and blue report straight from the source no appointment radio wherever whenever now from studio b or from wherever the saints or pelicans might be here's daniel sellerson as promised joining me now in studio b is john DeShazer from neworleansaints.com and mike triplett from espn.com and gentlemen when we Talked about the game, or when I going into the game yesterday, of course, Saints were a heavy favorite, and a lot of people picked them in the survivor pool. And then after that first drive by the Saints, I thought, boy, they might be on their way. And then after that, things kind of went downhill from there. I'll start with you, JD. Kind of one more your overall thoughts on yesterday's game between the Saints and the Bucks. Well, actually, I was uh, surprised with both sides. Um, the offense hadn't worked a whole lot for the Saints. The number one offense hadn't worked a whole lot in the preseason. So I thought they might start slow. So that was a pleasant surprise, obviously. Uh, the defense, I was I was shocked by that. I did not think uh, that that defense had that kind of, I was going to say performance, non-performance in it. After seeing what happened last year, now, nothing carries over from year to year, but I just didn't think they would be uh, that bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and it just, you know, it, it didn't click at all at any point. I think, uh, when did Tampa punt? In the third quarter, maybe? I think the one punt, and that was in the third quarter. Other than that, it was just kneel downs. I mean, I was I was shocked 
that they couldn't get any pressure on Fitzpatrick. I was shocked uh, that they that they were so ineffective in coverage. And not not saying that Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson aren't good receivers because both of those guys are really good. But you saw some instances where Saints cornerbacks were three, four feet behind. And that really stunned me. I just didn't think this defense would play that poorly. Yeah, and I could have seen inconsistency coming from this defense. We saw inconsistency last year. Remember, they played Tampa Bay in Week 17 last mm-hmm. year, and they broke down in that game. But a breakdown looked like, what, 31 points? Yeah. Not 48. Yeah. Not every time. The thing that was most shocking to me wasn't even the the oops we broke down on the first defensive series of the season. There is such thing as rust in this league. Yeah. But there was no stretch in the second quarter where they forced back-to-back three and outs. They didn't force a turnover. Yeah. They didn't have They didn't have a single good stretch. Mm-hmm. I would have thought, Boy, they they had four ugly drives in this opening game. They got to get that cleaned up. I didn't think every drive would be ugly. I think that's what was most surprising. Judging by the preseason and training camp, I thought a lot of people had some optimism about the defense heading into this one. Was it more of just it was the preseason, so maybe what we saw really didn't translate, or was it just maybe just a really bad game for the Saints defense? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, now, look, we looked at preseason and we said, okay, Michael Thomas is really, you know, having his way with Marshawn Lattimore at cornerback. And, I mean, you know, but you said, okay, well, that's Michael Thomas, you know, and you kind of brushed it off. Well, Mike Evans then comes out and does some similar things in the season opener. And now you're saying, okay, well, Mike Evans is pretty good, but Marshawn Lattimore is supposed to be better than that. And he had some decent success against Mike Evans last year. Uh, I don't know – I don't ever project anything from preseason to regular season because it's just hard. Um, they're not really scheming. Um, you don't see a lot of starters out there for long stretches of, of time. So I, I don't take a whole lot out of it. You know, more so I think you'll get a different read out of practice and maybe joint practices especially. And and the, and the, and the Saints were pretty good at that, you know. But, man, I, again, I, I, I don't have words for what, <laughs> for what we saw yesterday. I just was not expecting – you know, uh, uh, to see a team give up five touchdowns on defense and 41 points and basically uh, Tampa Bay and no no disrespect to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Don't you always say that before you disrespect the yeah, guy? Like no disrespect. But I was not expecting Ryan Fitzpatrick to basically uh, just, just pillage the Saints yeah. defense that way. He was phenomenal. And he didn't give them any opportunities to stumble, stumble their way into no, a momentum no. shifter. Yeah. You know, he didn't throw up one wobbler that, that somebody he got He was to... phenomenal. <laughs> Unbelievable. That touchdown pass to Chris Godwin uh, against Ken Crawley, the one time they had tight coverage, he just threw that. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, look, you're right. Marshawn Lattimore, there were signs that he wasn't in peak form in training camp, and we kind of brushed it off like maybe he's trying new things in practice. Yeah, he's a gamer. But on the flip side, Marcus Williams had the best training camp of anyone in a Saints uniform except for maybe Michael Thomas. And he struggled in this game. Yes. And Ken Crawley really struggled in this game. Yes. And uh, Patrick Robinson had a, and Von Bell. Somebody somebody screwed up on that first play. There was a missed assignment somewhere uh, along the defense. Everyone was guilty, and the pass rush was stunningly bad. Yeah. And and the thing that surprised me the most, I'm I'm willing to uh, concede a possible hangover in Week One. And we talked about it. Look, they have proved that right, written on the like they had to try to say, listen, you guys cannot show up and be great. And they yeah. preach it and they preach it and they preach it. But we know it's human nature that it might happen. Yes. Like I said, what stunned me is that they didn't adjust and they didn't wake up. I mean, they came out. They came out in the third quarter. First play of the game was a first down by the Buccaneers, and they just kept on rolling. Yeah. 
with the secondary, was it more of miscommunication issues throughout the whole game? Was it more technique issues as far as the secondary goes, or was it a little bit of both? Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, man. I asked Sean Payne that exact question yeah. today because the first one was definitely a blown assignment. Yes. But he said that wasn't really the case throughout throughout the rest of the game. He said it was technique, lack of a pass rush, Fitzpatrick playing great, um, and coaching uh, er- coaching errors, but way more than, than blown assignments uh, – Basically, failures in every other area. Yeah, that lack of a pass rush is going to catch up to this team if they're playing that way. Now, I don't expect Cam Jordan to have the year this year that he had last year. That that doesn't make sense because people are not going to allow him to have that kind of kind of season. He he won't put up those numbers. They're going to get rid of it fast. They're going to go away from him. Uh, they're going to chip him. They're going to double him. Uh, we saw Tampa Bay with some really nice schemes against him yesterday. He's got to get some help. It's got to be Alex Okafor and Marcus Davenport. And it's going to have to be Sheldon Rankins. And it's going to have to be uh, David on Yamada. And it might have to be, you know, a, a blitzing linebacker from here and there. But he's going to have to have some help because if I'm a defend, if I'm an offensive coordinator playing the Saints, what I'm saying is, 94 is not going to wreck my offense. Mm-hmm. Not going to have him batting down passes because I'm throwing, you know, over, over to the right side. I'm not going to. You know, leave my right tackle out there alone against him. Somebody else is going to have to show they can beat me. And nobody showed that they could beat him yesterday. The only time the Saints got close to Ryan Fitzpatrick, they roughed him three times yesterday, I think. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to have more production out of those out of the other guys because you know what Cam Jordan can do. And if again, if I'm a if if I'm an opposing offensive coordinator, I'm not going to allow him to single handedly wreck my offense. And I think that's probably the, the fairest concern going forward, too, is I think we trust this secondary to right the ship. There's too many talented guys in there who have too proven of a track record from last year, including Patrick Robinson, who had a breakout year for another team last year. But the front seven was maybe the biggest question mark on this team going in. We need to see either Marcus Davenport arrive early or Alex Okafor show he can get yes. back to form from last year. Uh, and they already weren't getting great pass rush from the defensive tackle position or the linebacker position so now i think alarm bells do go off that that front seven might be a question mark this year i'm glad you brought up the defensive line i was going to touch on this later but i want to talk about more you know with the new rules with the helmet rules didn't seem like that was an issue throughout the entire nfl i don't think there was one called on the helmet call but the roughing the passer with the weight of the body of the defensive lineman going on to the quarterback i think was not only a major issue in this game but throughout the NFL, just kind of want to hear your thoughts on, I mean, it's just so hard for a defensive lineman when you're already using all of your weight and your power to tackle the guy. What else are you supposed to do? So are, are, are you concerned, I'm assuming you are, about how this rule played out yesterday? I don't know how you avoid it consistently. If you're taught to tackle and wrap up and drive through, how do you not land on the guy? And how do you adjust your teachings for the quarterback? Oh, I'm rushing the quarterback, so I got to get to the side of him as opposed to the running back, and I'll just try to run straight through him. I mean, I I just don't know how you make that adjustment. I think the adjustment probably at some point will come with the officiating. I don't think you can continue to make that call uh, consistently because it's just too hard for players to make that adjustment of saying, okay, I'm rushing the quarterback, so I got to tackle him different than I would anybody else. You know, players aren't going to make that. They're not going to make that 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 draw that fine line there and say, okay, this is the way I'm going to have to do this. Now I know, 
you know, you say, okay, these guys are smart and they're intelligent, but that that's a hard that's line. A split to, second reaction. Yeah, when you when you're rushing and and then on top of that, you're trying to get around the guy who might be pushing you from behind or might be clipping your legs at the last second. It's a hard determination to make, especially when you're telling a team that got zero pass rush. Yeah. Against a quarterback <laughs> yeah. who tore them up. Don't yeah. pass rush so hard. Yeah, yeah. Don't pass rush so <laughs> I, yeah, hard. I did. I agree. I hated those. I hated both those calls. Look, there was one this preseason where Trey Hendrickson's helmet hit the quarterback. Yeah. And my first reaction was, tough break because yeah, his momentum that's carried him there. But you know they're going to call that every yeah, time. Yeah, that's going to be a call. The two yesterday with Onyemata and then Marcus Davenport on back-to-back plays, I, I mean, I guess I didn't pay close enough attention to what they said the new emphasis was going to be and didn't see it much in the preseason. Those those both stunned me. I was like, oh, that's illegal now, that's, too? Oh, that's going to be hard. How do you? That's going to be hard. It's I just mean, a regular tackle. It's I've, just their weight is yeah. going to naturally fall on the quarterback. Yeah, I don't want to say impossible, but, man, I mean, that's going to be hard to do. And then think about it. When you when you send a corner or a safety on a blitz, how are they going to get down a guy who's 6'5 and 230 unless they go through him and right. land on him? I mean, that's – I, you know, what do you do? Get close to him and, you know, and, and scream harsh language? Right. I mean, what do you what do? You do? <laughs> I'm curious to see how it's going to play out because it, it wasn't good. I think there was across the NFL, I think there was 14 of those called yesterday. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Let's go to the offense. A lot of pauses, I think, take away from the offense. Obviously, Drew Brees had himself a day. Michael Thomas with the 16 catches. Alvin Kamara did a lot of his work um, receiving the ball, not running the ball. What was your initial take on the offense yesterday, putting up 40 points? I think it, the offense was phenomenal except for the two turnovers. The two, two turnovers two turnovers turnover. were huge. Mike Gillisley's fumble and, and the scoop and score off of it was just, you know, that was a deflating moment. And I know the Saints came back and scored a touchdown after that, but they were really in the hole after that. Uh, that was tough. And then Michael Thomas, you know, trying to make a play, he gets hit from the blind side, the ball comes out. But – yeah, hey, ball security, that's huge. Now, they might have got him in just the right place at just the right time, the way he was carrying the ball, but still, ball security is huge when you're trying to make a comeback. And both of those are big plays because one directly goes to a touchdown. The other one probably takes at least, you know, I heard Drew Brees say, it probably takes at least three off the board. But the way they were moving the football, you know, the way they were moving the football and the way Tampa couldn't stop him, you say seven. <laughs> so that might have been 14 points in that game, and that turns out to be huge. And maybe the Saints win the game. You still don't feel great about it because they had to win in a shootout, but maybe they win the game. Uh, but Drew Brees was, was you know, game 16 form. I mean, you know, but we've seen that out of him so much. You, you almost take it for granted. And I hate to say take it for granted because we've seen it so much. But, man, he is really, really good. And Michael Thomas is really, really, really good. And Alvin well, Kamara is a magician in cleats. Yeah, and look, we you said Cameron Jordan can't have the same season he had last year, and that was one of my bigger concerns with the Saints too. Like I picked him to go eleven and five, and everybody's like, they were eleven and five last year, and all these guys are going to be better. And I'm like, no, Cameron Jordan, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, Ryan Ramchek, they can't all be better. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Is. I mean, he set the NFL record for yards per touch last year, and he looked better yesterday than yeah. he than he ever did, but. Man, I'll tell you, as a writer, sometimes I hate covering this team because they're down by 21 in the fourth quarter, and you can't start writing your story. No. <laughs> they're up by 21 in the fourth quarter. Sometimes you can't. Um, but what what a talent that is to have a team that can be down 48 to 24 or whatever it was and still have to sit in your seats because they're going to still turn it into a game. And it's funny. I was at the ESPN Fantasy Ranking Summit, and there were some people that were like downgrading Drew Brees and Michael Thomas a little because they're like, I just think this team is more balanced now. 
and they are, and it's true, and the offensive line is one of the best in the league. But what I said at the time was, like, oh, I, I think it's a little fluky that they just didn't get in any of those games last year where they had to play catch-up, like, for the whole second half, and Breeze ends up throwing for 300 yards, and Michael Thomas catches 100 yards in the second half. And th- their ability to be able to do that, they can yeah. do it in the first quarter to take a lead, yeah. but they can surely do it to come back. And that's going to serve them well this year yeah. in games where they don't give up 48. What about the wide receiving core? Cameron Meredith was inactive yesterday, so Traquan Smith, Austin Carr, Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn. Um, obviously, Thomas had himself a day, but other than that, I think, in my opinion, kind of quiet. I mean, Ted Ginn had some catches. What, what were your thoughts on the wide receiving core? Surprising that Meredith did not play yesterday. Well, my thought is this. Alvin Kamara is your number two receiver on yeah. this team. I mean, that's the way it is. That's just facts. Alvin Kamara is going to have a lot of catches, probably second on this team to Michael Thomas, I would imagine, at the end of the season. And that's your number two receiver. Cam Meredith not being active, um, not a huge shock. Uh, and really, Drew Brees, look, when you get in these kinds of games, you got to depend on the guys that you know. And you know where they're going to be, yep. and you know what they're capable of. So that turned out to be Alvin Kamara. That turned out to be Michael Thomas, a little bit of Ted Ginn Jr., a little, little bit of Austin Carr mm-hmm. later on. Ben Watson got in on it a yeah. little bit later. So, you know, you're going to depend on the guys that you're more comfortable with that, you know, you've got that, quote, time on task with. So that wasn't a shock to me uh, that Cameron Meredith. And then Cam Meredith, for much of training camp, did not look fantastic. Uh, he's coming back from a tough injury. And I think, you know, when he gets up to speed totally, then he'll be an asset. But, you know, I go back to that time on task thing. He hadn't worked a whole lot with Drew Brees. So now you got to get some familiarity there. And one thing Drew Brees always talks about, you know, the highest compliment he gives a guy is, I know what I'm going to get from him every day. Mm-hmm. I know where he's going to be. He don't know where Cam Meredith is going to be yet. <laughs> he yeah, hadn't yeah. a chance to work with him, hadn't had much of a chance to work with him. So that's the familiarity you got to get. And the rookie, Traquan Smith, probably falls in the same boat. Yes. He looked phenomenal every day in practice. He would make a play, and I think that's going to be the case. But he was open as well as the coaches about how he only knows one position so far. He's got to learn more. He's got to stop thinking while he's out there on the field. Mm-hmm. So I think that trust level increased with them. But I think what was encouraging was Ted Ginn Jr., five catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown. Ben Watson, four catches, 44 yards. Most of them came, I think, when they were in in the Mm -hmm. hurry-up mode. Um, So they have some guys they can rely on, and then they've got Carr, Meredith, and Smith who could emerge. But I think you needed Ginn to look like that. When Sean Payton was criticizing Ginn during the preseason for, for running some wrong routes, and he started to think, is Ginn on his way out, or is he going to get demoted? <laughs> like, you yeah. need the one you can trust. And he was so good last year, and, and it looks like Ted Ginn of last year, this year. You you need that, uh, like you say, Kamara's their number two receiver, but you, you need Ginn to be trustworthy to give those other receivers time to not to be thrust into roles that they're not ready for yet. Let's talk about Alvin Kamara a little bit um, with how he played yesterday. Unbelievable, as you mentioned, basically the number two wide receiver yesterday. Looking at the snap count for him, played 52 snaps. I know this was addressed with Coach Payton this morning about the workload for him. And a lot of people, I think, were a little concerned just from the sense that Mark Ingram was not going to be there for the first four weeks. Are any of you all concerned with the workload that Alvin Kamara got this week or what he might get in the first four or five weeks? Uh, Well, I think the biggest disappointment, first of all, I asked Sean made a follow-up question, which is, as a coach, if you want to tell yourself limit his workload, but then every time he gets the ball, magic is happening, as John said earlier. Um is that a hard battle? And he admit, you know, he admits it is. You want to be cautious, but man, you just want to keep feeding him the ball. Uh, but I think the bigger concern from that game is 
in that game, just like what happened this summer, they never found a number two guy they could count on. Pretty stunning how many guys they had auditioned for that role from veterans like Terrence West and Shane Vereen to, to young guys like Jonathan Williams and Boston Scott and Trey Edmonds to wind up going into the season with a, with only a guy who showed up Sunday, Mike Gillisley on the roster, and then he fumbles. Um, so they had a lot of time to prepare for Ingram suspension and at one week into the season, I don't think they've found the guy that they can count on yet. Maybe we'll see a little more Jonathan Williams next week, I think. And, it, and this game, too, was a little bit of a freakish game because you're getting in a situation where you almost have to score every possession. So now you're throwing it, trying to trying to keep up and stay with them. And, you know, basically Tampa was saying, eh, we're not going to let you run it. Uh, we don't mind you throwing it, but we're not going to let you run it. And so now do you want Alvin Kamara to take that pounding between the tackles? And that's where you hope that Mike Gillisley – and Jonathan Williams can come in, and as Mike mentioned, when Mike Gillisley puts the ball on the ground, and all of a sudden now that trustworthiness flies out the Superdome roof because it's like, okay, you're in a you're in a, a back and forth kind of you know pickup game, and you can't afford to give away possessions like that, and you don't have enough skins on the wall with this team to be trustworthy in those situations. So now you know we can't use you, and then oh by the way we're playing catch up, and Alvin's the best you know best suited for that. So. You know, do you worry about his touches or snaps? Well, it depends on how much of a beating he's taken. I mean, he took 11 more snaps, 12 more snaps than he ordinarily would have taken last year. If you do that over the course of four games, that, and then that's plus 40 snaps. How much of a beating is he taking? And then how much can you decelerate that when Mark Ingram comes back? Because, you know, now you got a guy that you feel that you can trust. So that's going to be the issue. I, I think they want to, you know, if, if the game stays balanced and if you're not in a shootout, then you don't have to use him that many snaps. That's what, because, that's what Sean Payton said. He said yeah. this wasn't what the game script looked like, yeah. so yeah, we would have preferred to be up or able to run the ball in the second yeah, half. Yeah, if you can balance it out, and then maybe you can get Jonathan Williams a couple more touches, and then you know Mike Gillisley hopefully bounces back and you can get him a few more touches or somebody, but you don't have to use him as much if you're throwing it as much. I mean, they threw it 45 times and ran it 13 times. That ain't, that ain't good balance anywhere. I mean, in no – Form of football is that good balance unless you're running to run and shoot. And even then, they call it run and shoot. So, yeah, you don't want to see that kind of imbalance. A couple more topics before we let you all go. And, of course, you know, the problem has been for the Saints, their start the last few seasons, 0-2, 0-3, things like that. And last year was 0-2, and they ended up making the playoffs. Um, I'm assuming no need to hit the panic button just yet. You saw a lot of, you know, problems with the defense. You saw a lot of positives from – the offense, but of course, with week one, there's a lot of overreaction. Sometimes there's underreaction with things. How would you assess as far as whether you need to hit that panic button or not just after one week? Well, I don't know if you panic, but but I do think they, I don't want to say need to win game two, but look, they're going on the road two games after that. And this Saints showed last year that they could win on the road, but that's last year. And <laughs> nothing carries over in the NFL like that. So I think they need to get this one because one, you need to start feeling good about yourself, and two, and you're going to go on the road for two really tough games. You're going to Atlanta and to the Meadowlands to play the Giants. So you need to get something in the win column before you take the, those on. You know, in a perfect world, I think everybody, most people were thinking the Saints would be two and zero going into Week Three, and then not have a game you could kind of fool around with, but you'd have a little something in the bank where if they go to Atlanta and struggle, uh, you might come out of it two and one, but you still still feel pretty good. But all of a sudden, you know, at best you're going into Atlanta one and one. So now the pressure ramps up a little bit because not only are you 0-1, but you're 0-1 in your division. 
and that makes it a whole lot tougher to win your division. That's the first step, win your division. So I don't know if, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say panic, but, but there's a heightened sense of urgency, I believe. Yeah, that, uh, last year, two games into the season, I think there was a lot of talk about, oh, man, defense yeah. just as bad as ever. Is this going to be the last year with Sean Payton and Drew Brees? Uh, because their track record made you feel that way. This year you are willing to give them a little bit of time <laughs> to show that this was a fluke because of what they did last year. But the schedule doesn't allow them that time. As you said, I yeah. think a lot of people looked at that schedule and said they better be 5-0 and or they better be 4-1 yeah. and because it gets brutal in October and November. Um, yeah, when you get to start out with two home games against two non-playoff teams from last year, Tampa Bay and Cleveland, you'd love to be 2-0. and You have to be 1-1. One and, one. and now here we go to Cleveland, who did not lose yesterday. They still haven't Undefeated won in Cleveland almost Browns. Yep. Hard to believe. What's crazy did they, is did they bust open the Bud Light, the Bud coolers? I yesterday? think it's people drink. Half, half <laughs> I think it's partially <laughs> unlocked. I think they took off the lock. We were not allowed to open the cooler yet. I was wondering about that too, but they're still ready to go in there. But Cleveland didn't look half bad yesterday against the Steelers. Plenty of opportunities for them to win in overtime. What was crazy was the stat was this is their best start to the season since '04, and that's basically being zero zero in one. But uh, with Tyrod Taylor, a guy that can move on his feet too. Um, it's not a gimme game at all, but it's going to be an interesting game nonetheless for the Browns and the Saints. Look, they got a mobile quarterback, and they got two really good receivers, Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry. So I don't care who you have playing quarterback if you got those two guys playing re- receiver, but you know, Tyrod T- Taylor has proven as a general rule he doesn't turn it over. He might not be as accurate as you like. He might not throw it down the field as much as you like. But he doesn't give a whole lot more to the opposition, and they've got two really good receivers. And if I'm those two receivers, and I saw what happened to the Saints cornerbacks yesterday, I'm feeling pretty good coming into the Superdome. That's just, you know, you're not overconfident, but if you're a guy like Jarvis Landry, who likes to play, and if you're Josh Gordon, who, you know, he's kind of working his way back in, but a couple of years ago, Josh Gordon was an absolute menace on the football field, then you've got the makings of a decent offense, and especially if you've seen them go against a secondary that struggled in week one. Not to mention a really good pass catching running back in Duke Johnson, a really mm-hmm. promising young tight end in David Njoku that will test linebackers who haven't been proven in pass coverage yet. But I, I think the one thing that really stands out is the Saints had so much trouble containing Ryan Fitzpatrick yesterday, who's not known as a multiple quarterback. Yes. And then you look up and see a quarterback who just yes. ran for 77 yards and a touchdown yesterday coming to town. They got to figure out a better plan for that than they did yesterday. Yeah. All right, John, the Shazer, New Orleans Saints.com, Mike Triplett, ESPN.com. Plenty of coverage leading up to that game on Sunday. Gentlemen, I appreciate the time, and let's hope for one in one conversation after yeah. Sunday. That'd be nice to be talking about a win. Because, um, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wad yesterday up and throw it away. And, and as Mike said, you know, we're going to say, okay, they they built up a little equity from last year, so let's let's see what happens. Yeah, they get they, the equity will probably last about <laughs> six more days. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, again, that's John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com and Mike Triplett from ESPN.com. We're going to try to do a roundtable discussion every Monday, recapping Saints hopefully more wins than losses this season as we make our way through the NFL season. Of course, we'll throw in Pelicans talk on Mondays as well um, as their season gets going. It's almost here, though, and Pelicans single-game tickets go on sale September 13th. But before that, you can win seats to the hottest 10 games before they go on sale to the general public. Subscribe to Pelicans Insider today to be entered to win. 
Plus, score early access to individual game presale tickets, including Warriors and Lakers matchups. For more info, you can log on to pelicans.com slash win. This promo lasts tonight until 11.59 p.m. Central Time. So you only have a little bit to log on and enter to win. Again, you don't want to miss any of the games, but the 10 hottest games, including the Lakers and the Warriors, those are the ones you want to check out. So again, log on to pelicans.com slash win. And I can't believe it, two weeks from today, we'll be talking about Pelicans Media Day and the start to training camp. And then September 30th will be the Pelicans' first preseason matchup in Chicago against the Bulls. That'll do it for today's podcast presented by SeatGeek. Sean Kelly will have it for you on Wednesday. And then the girls will take over previewing Pel- or Saints and Browns on Friday. That's Caroline Gonzalez, Cindy Robinson, and Ashley Amos. For John DeShazer, Mike Triplett, producer Mario Drez, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report.